Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Casey Shearer, if or you could say Shearer. Um, Casey <laughs> is the younger brother of Jason Shearer, uh, king of the Hammers champion. But Casey has his own championships that we can talk about. And his life and some of the things that led him out of the Bay Area, up into the Sierra Nevada foothills, and then to St. George, Utah. So let's, uh, let's say hello. And, you know, Casey, thank you for coming on and, and being a guest. Hey, Big Rich! Thanks for having me, man. I'm uh, I love listening to your podcasts, and um, I'm happy to to be able to join you and be involved in one myself. That's awesome. So let's just jump right in with both feet. Sure. If anybody listened to Jason's, they're going to have you know this might be kind of a repeat, but uh, <laughs> the hometown that you you were born and raised in is. Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised in um, Danville, California, um, where my parents uh, built and we lived in our my parents' dream house. So it was really fun to grow up uh, with my brother and, and um, have all the, the fun things that we got to do in the shop there growing up. So let's talk about that house. I don't think we got into that with, with Jason. Um, the shop that you just mentioned, was it... Uh, like just a garage or was it a shop shop? Yeah, no, it was, it was a garage that my parents parked their uh, cars in. And um, my brother uh, bought a CJ five and we, he played with it a little bit. Um, he went to uh, college up in Chico and the Jeep actually got stolen. And I think you guys covered that in his segment. Yep. And, um, and then he came home um, had to help my dad run the business a little bit, family business. And, um, they decided to do a full frame off restoration on it. And, you know, I was, I loved it. I was the kid sweeping the shop floor and it wasn't anything special. It was just, you know, a, a two car garage that, um, that my dad kind of relinquished his parking spots and, and, uh, let Jason, you know, completely do a frame off on a CJ five, which was, Back then, you know, to us just getting into it, it was a big deal, you know, rebuilding the motor and, and you know, cleaning up the frame rails and trussing everything. It was a, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of good memories. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great way to get to get involved or um, to build that passion of, you know, vehicles. Oh, we were hooked. Yeah. We were hooked. There's no doubt. I mean, I've got, I can look back at pictures and, you know, there's camping gear all over the driveway coming back from the Rubicon and my dad would come home from work and there's, you know, coolers and sleeping bags and stuff everywhere. It was just, we lived it. It was as soon as we got done with school, it was, you know, back to working on off-road stuff. Let's, let's talk about those, the early years, um, school. Um, yeah. Were you, uh, scholastic athletic or tried to find your own thing? Yeah, I, I tried to find my own thing. Jason was really scholastic and athletic. I kind of bounced around. I had I had some learning disabilities and stuff like that. And I bounced around to a bunch of different schools um, all the way, even in high school. You know, I got kicked out of high school for 
having long hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, went to an all boys Catholic high school and they just didn't approve of, of Casey's ways. So I ended up, you know, registering myself at the public school and, and, uh, it was great. I had friends on, on both campuses. So definitely, uh, Casey knew how to have some fun back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know the long hair story. Um, you know, I grew up in the, in the, you know, my youth was truly in the sixties and then seventies was high school. And, uh, yeah, long hair was, was like a norm. Yeah, it was kind of taboo, you know. I at an all boys Catholic high school, I wore, you know, I was really into the Grateful Dead and wore tie dyed t shirts <laughs> every day, and you know, went to uh, went to a bunch of concerts, Grateful Dead concerts, when I was just a young and you know, Jason would let me tag along, and he was always so cool that way as an older brother to to let me tag along. You know, a lot of a lot of siblings are you know get away, and uh, we had a lot of the same friends and and same interests, so. Uh, yeah, that was a, an interesting part of my, like my youth. Well, that's awesome. It's interesting that two brothers can be so different. You know, I know that, that my kids, um, Megan and Rich are extremely different. And so no matter how you raise them or where you grow up or what the, the influences are, there's still, people still have their own, their own destiny to make. For sure. We get, my brother and I get confused constantly. We have, like I said, a lot of the same attributes and, you know, we have this very similar voice and, and, yeah. uh, people, people confuse us quite often, but we we're uh, we're quick to jump on them and say, no, no, Jason's my older brother or Casey's my little brother, vice versa. It's pretty funny. We, we kind of, it fuels us. It's fun. So let's talk about, uh, well, you've actually been talking about it, but besides school, um, early family life, your your dad started Pelican Communications and yep. ran that, and then Jason helped, and then you're involved with it now too, aren't you? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm actually a I'm a Western Regional Sales Manager and an owner of the business. So, yeah, kind of from the beginning, um, I think one of my very first jobs was my grandfather given me a sledgehammer and he told me to break up. Uh, he owned a company called Oakland cigarette service and Jason and I would tag along with my dad who worked for my grandpa and we'd go to the, the, uh, warehouse and I used that sledgehammer and I would break up, uh, vending machines, cigarette vending machines and get fill to fill the dumpsters with them because they were converting their routes from, uh, cigarette machines to uh, amusement devices, which are like pool tables and jukeboxes. Okay. And it just kind of uh, spiraled from that. My dad, um, many years later, went on his own, um, started his own business, and was pay uh, started with pay, with pay telephones. Yeah. And now you know, there's a, a piece kid, of history. They are. <laughs> you know, they're few and far between to see them. But when you do, they're they're out there still. Believe it or not, yep. a few of them. Uh, um, you know, one of one another one of my first jobs was counting quarters. You know, they'd my dad had a route and and uh, he'd go collect the quarters out of them, and I'd you know put them count all the coins and take them down to the bank and and um, you know over the years he kept me employed. Um, I you know helped my brother install I think somewhere around three thousand payphones. Wow. Um, from you know pouring cement pads and hammer. Uh, hammer drilling them, lagging them into the ground and running phone lines. It, 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 and it was all Jason that taught me all these things. Um, so it was, it was really fun. I, I, at a young age, I had a great work ethic. I, I enjoyed it because I got to work with my brother and my dad. It was, it was just fun. And I still have that same, same attitude to this day that I get to work with my family. You know, there's ups and downs on that, but, um, in, in the big picture, it's well worth it. We all really enjoy what we do. Well, that's great to hear. So your wheeling was started with your brother. Um, yep. With that CJ five, correct? Yeah. So I think maybe we went a little bit too far. So <laughs> I, let's back up for a second. Okay. The way, the way I got into wheeling was again, I was tagging along with my brother going with, uh, one of his family friends. And then uh, we had a gate uh, to our driveway 
and it broke one day. Some of the metal broke and uh, my parents hired this handyman to come and, and fix the gate. Uh, I think this is like early nineties and it was Jeff Mello, like oh. the Jeff, it was the Jeff Mello. And, you know, he's a hero of mine because of it. He was actually using a bunch of batteries and he was arc welding uh, the gate back together yeah. and fixing some of the ornaments, you know, ornamentary style gate stuff. And he saw my brother's Jeep that he was rebuilding in the garage and it clicked. It was just, you know, from then on out, it was spend the nights over at Jeff's barn, uh, working on his race Jeeps and rock crawlers. And he was doing arena cross. And I was just, I was enthralled by it. I'd ride my bike over there every day to learn something. And he was cool about it. You know, he was like, here, pick up a grinder, use the welder. Here's, you know, here's how you sharpen a drill bit. He wasn't shy about it. And it, it taught us a lot back then. Yeah, really fun to, to be able to meet Jeff. Um, and then again, it was going out on the trail um, on Rubicon and Fordyce and, you know, meeting, meeting people that were, had like interests and, you know, still to this day, like guys that we met out on the trail, like Brian Ferris, you know, still work in my brother's shop and set up differentials. I mean, it's, it's been a lifelong friendship. Well, that's awesome. So yeah. you also got into racing go-karts. When did that happen? That happened a little bit later. I, I went to a trade school out in Arizona called UTI, um, okay which was a, a heavy diesel and industrial school. And I went to uh, Bob Bondurant's um, school of driving out there in Phoenix and uh, got into a shifter cart and it was just a school. And I went out and I ran faster lap times than the instructors did. <laughs> and, and they were like, you, we don't, you got to get into this sport. So I graduated school and I, I came back home, started working for my dad again. And, uh, it's funny. I'm actually looking at a picture in my, in my office right now, of my dad giving me my very first go-kart and yeah, just got into it big time. Uh, started traveling all over the country, racing with uh, a couple of buddies and got picked up by some big sponsors, by some manufacturers. And then the next thing I know I had factory sponsorships and I was traveling all over the world, going to Guatemala, uh, race down in San Salvador and Nicaragua. I kept going back to Guatemala, uh, made a bunch of friends over there, and they kept inviting me back to race in their series and kind of helped them bring the bring that type of level of, of racing to Guatemala, um, where now go-kart racing is just absolutely massive over there. And I like to think that I had a, a part in making it as big as it is today over there. That's cool. I, I knew that yeah. you'd raced and I knew that you had factory sponsorship and I knew that you'd gone out of the country to race too. Didn't you also race, um, against some big name guys that ended up being NASCAR drivers? Oh yeah. I mean, all, all those guys, I mean, the Scott speeds, um, AJ Allmendinger was one of my teammates. Uh, my buddy, Andrew Alfonso went on to race, you know, Porsche and Le Mans style stuff. Billy Johnson, who was another one of my uh, teammates, he's, it's just crazy. I could go on and on about all the names, the guys that were involved that are now in the limelight of professional racing. I see, you know, the, uh, the McDowell's family are just out there just killing it in NASCAR right now. And Jaskels, all those guys that I raced go-karts with, um, they, they, they've done very well for themselves. So if I, if there's any advice to kids out there listening to this podcast, get yourself into a go-kart and dig in because there you can, if you put your head down to it, anything is possible. You can work your way all the way up to the top, all the way in, all the way into formula one. I mean, you know, Max Verstappen is one of the top formula one drivers right now. And, um, you know, he, I used to see him at the go-kart track all the time. It was, he was just a little kid. So you just put your, put your face down and, and, you know, drive, practice, drive, learn the go-kart setup, learn how the thing works. And, um, yeah, good luck. I understand that's a great way to get into racing. I guess a lot of guys, they, they segue into more open wheel, um, racing. Sure. 
I think it taught me a lot, Rich. It taught me, it taught me disciplines. Uh, It taught me how to respect other racers and how to drive. It taught me line theory and breaking thresholds and, you know, how to set up a chassis and how to not smoke my tires in the first couple laps. And I mean, there's so many little things that later in my life, uh, racing off road, I think it, it, it was a huge benefit for me. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons why I think that, uh, when I jumped into racing UTVs for, with ultra four, um, that I came right out of the box and, you know, won the championships and got rookie of the year because it was my skill set played right, played right into it. Right. Right. It was, and I had, I had coach Jason there to, you know, to teach me along the ways of some of the differences and, you know, h- how to set up an off-road car versus a road road car, which there is big differences, but there's also a lot of similarities. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I would imagine one of the things that I've heard is that, especially with shifter carts, is the feel. You, you get yeah. to, you know, because you're so, there's, there's very little space between you and the pavement that right. the car you drive- feels different you have to drive i mean you you are you touch the brakes and if your elbows aren't locked in your head's hitting the steering wheel there's you drive by the seat of your pants and um you learn you learn how a car reacts in you know bad situations you get in the marbles a little bit and you know that you're going to have understeer and and you go, you know, way too hard into the brakes. You know that thing's gonna, you know, push like a boat and just keep going straight. You gotta, you gotta learn that finesse. And it took me a little bit in off road. Um, you know, I'd come into a corner, uh, racing a NorCal rock race or something, and I'd try and slow the car down, and it would just keep going straight because you're in dirt. There's no grip. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was it, there was a lot of stuff that took me a long time to figure out. Um, Luckily, I lived near Prairie City. Um, uh, you know, when I moved up to Auburn, uh, when I moved out of the out of the Bay Area, out of Danville, um, and so I was there all the time. I mean, I think the gate guy knew me by my first name. <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a good track out there too. I had uh, I had something to do with that when we uh, when I owned Vora. Oh, nice. Me and a guy named Steve Sullivan and. Uh, Actually, we even had Kurt LeDuc come up one time and run the race course that we used for Oh, yeah. And we were, it's funny, we were in a, uh, in his his wife's Grand Cherokee. And he <laughs> drove up from San Jose because he was there for four-wheel parts truck fest or whatever they called it. Uh-huh. And he, I, I asked him to come out and take out, take a look at the track. And then he brought his sons up and we, and raced with us and stuff for a while, but he, we did the track in the Grand Cherokee with the three of us, and I thought we would just drive around the track. No, he, he was <laughs> driving. I mean, we were off the jumps. It we were sounds about right. through the corners, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess I should trust this guy because he knows what the hell he's doing. So, you know, we, uh, it was fun. I really like Kurt LaDuke. I, I've had the pleasure of, of hanging out with him and, and meeting him. Um, when my brother started racing with Ford, um, you know, Jason made friends with Kurt on trail emissions, uh, through BF Goodrich and they, they became, you know, really good friends. And I met Kurt for the first time and I introduced myself. And the first thing he said to me was, Oh, I know who you are. I follow you on social media. And my brother looked over at me like, Oh, Casey, <laughs> 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 you know, you get a legend like that guy saying something like that to me. It, 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 uh, it really stuck, put a big smile on the face. Yep. That's, that's what off-road racing does. I mean, you get to meet, you know, whether it's, whether you're racing UTVs or, or class 11 Volkswagen bugs or class nine cars or whatever. Sure. You know, if you put yourself out there to meet the people that are around, everybody's really, for the most part, personal, personable. Yeah. I think that's something. And and again, I think my brother touched on it a little bit in his segment, but honestly, Rich, I think that's all because of Shannon. I think he taught us that he taught us to, and, you know, he has this famous line. He'll share absolutely everything with you, but he's still going to beat you with his junk. 
Yep. And it has been lost over the years with so many people and how big the sport has gotten. But I think the founders of it still have that humble attitude where it's why the sport's grown so much, in my opinion, is everybody shares these cool new technology. You know, the Joe Thompsons that are building UFO cars, the the Campbells, the, you know, the Cro- Cross building his new car. It was, you know, it's not like Cross had all this knowledge. He went in there and, and got it from a bunch of the veterans. and 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 I see it. It took me a little bit to gain that in the UTV stuff because um, my background in go-kart racing, um, it was kind of like how Robbie Gordon is. You know, there was a cover over your car that nobody shared any secrets, <laughs> right? And and it's like the mind game um, where in Ultra 4 and even in rock crawling, you know, growing up around that, it wasn't that way. You know, everybody was sharing their ideas. You know, I see Jesse you know, building all these portal stuff. And like, you know, he shares his ideas with everybody. It's, it's really cool how it's, how it's all. And at, again, to circle back on it, I really think it came from Shannon teaching all of us that that's the way to do it. And, 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 and I still am that way. I, I get phone calls weekly from people. Hey, how do I do this? Or how's this work? And I love sharing that kind of information. That's, that's great. That's, that's what helps grow the sport for sure. Cause if you got to yeah. go out there and, and figure it all out on your own, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's really time consuming. There's those yeah. days where you're really down, um, you know, like dirt circle track. I, I can see how people get into it. Yeah. If you have early success, because you've figured it out somehow, or you've got somebody on your team that has figured it out, it's great. But you see guys out there just, you know, Ugh, getting, struggling, just struggling for years, and yeah. it's like, you know, dude, you know, you don't, you don't know how to set up your car, you don't know, you, you know, all the things. Yeah, I dab- I dabbled in it for a couple of seasons. Um, I raced the NASCAR uh, Redline series, okay. uh, which was a late model um, series raced uh you know the bull rings like madera and stocked in 99 speedway and i loved it i thought it was a ton of fun but again just like you said it was if you didn't have the setup you were getting dumped <laughs> and those guys didn't care they they would dump you the same guy would dump you every single weekend to teach you a lesson and it got expensive fast <laughs> yeah. because because it was, you know, and I got to the point where I was like, man, the good old boys won't let me buy, you know, you couldn't, you had to beat them fair and square. And then when you started beating them, they, they, they Dale Earnhardt, you know, if you couldn't beat them, they beat you. So they were beating on your bumper and it just wasn't, it wasn't a fit for me. I wasn't, I didn't have that grit. I was too nice of a guy to, to be able to compete in it. I was it was fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I was, uh, striving for in my racing career. Right. And if you're hot headed, it's even worse because yep. when somebody dumps you, you know, the next thing you want to do is go into pits. And if you're, if you're not a big guy, like most of the NASCAR guys, you know, yep. you've got, there was your lead tire change guy is actually a bodyguard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is, I, I think there was a fight every weekend. I'm trying to remember when there wasn't one and I can't. So that's just kind of the mentality of it. And that's, that's the sport. Nothing wrong with it. Those guys, you know, I'm sure they're, they're still doing it to this day. And you know, it's a, it was a good time in my life. I did, I did some really fun races too. I did, um, I did a 25 hour long endurance race up in Thunder. Yeah. in Thunder Hill. Uh I did it. I did it four years in a row. It was really fun in a late model stock car. So here you are three o'clock in the morning doing 180 miles an hour down the straightaway and a prototype, you know, GT three car comes passing you at, you know, 210 miles an hour. It was awesome. You know, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you come down the straightaways and the brakes are glowing and you can see the cars in front of you. It was uh, a, a ton of fun. I, I, I loved that race and, and, uh, Maybe someday I'll be able to be back involved in it because it is such a fun, fun event. Let's talk about your UTV racing and sure. how that, 
how that evolved. I mean, where did did you just wake up some morning and go, okay, I'm going to go race one of these glorified golf carts or what? No, well, let's see. So I lived in uh, I lived in Danville in the Bay Area, and I was doing the normal routes, uh, working for my family business. And I came home from work one day for lunch. I lived uh, about two miles away from our corporate offices. And my house was kind of a revolving door. We had a a big swimming pool in the backyard. Um, My uh, girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, uh, her sister was, yeah, Marcy, her sister was always in and out of town. She lived out here in St. George. And I pulled into the driveway and there was a, a little, um, you know, four door, uh, Nissan or, uh, you know, Prius type car, smaller, smaller, uh, hatchback kind of thing. And, uh, I just kind of thought to myself, Oh, someone's, someone's here from out of town or someone's swimming in the swimming pool. Didn't even think twice about it. And I started to walk up to my front door and there was a guy standing there pointing a gun at me in my own house. And, uh, he said, get the F out of here. And I took off running behind my truck and I jumped a 12, 12 foot tall fence. Uh, can't even believe I, to this day that I jumped over that fence and yeah, my house completely got robbed. Um, I'm so lucky to be alive. That guy could have shot me right there. I mean, without a, without a hesitation, he could have shot me. And, um, it turned out it was one of my guns. Um, they had broken into my safe. They had stolen all my wife's purses and jewelry, you know, anything that had any value, they just cleaned house. Um, and that kind of, you know, as sad and as scary as that was, that opened a lot of opportunities. Um, I ended up selling the house. Um, I moved up to Auburn, California, up in the foothills, kind of try to lead a little bit uh, quieter lifestyle, get out of the big city, um, you know, settle down, ended up getting married. Um, and my neighbor was um, Phil Blurton, who is a three or four time best in the desert champion, UTV world championships. He's won. I think he's won everything in my opinion. I think he's got some score races he needs to win. And King of the hammers might be right on the cusp, but um, total badass. Right. And he said, Hey, you should get into this UTV racing. I've been racing short course in the Polaris. And there's this new car coming out by Can-Am called a Maverick. This was in 2017, Um, and I said, let's do it. So I went down to the local dealership, and I bought a bone stock uh, Can-Am X3 and took it to his shop. I think it had two miles on it (laughs) and started Sawzall on it. I mean, we cut cut it up and um, built the race car that I actually still have today. and he built a best in the desert style car uh, for racing desert. And I built a king of the hammers style car that, um, you know, had awesome approach and departure angles. And I used every skill set that I had to make that thing just a rock crawler. Um, put a huge winch on the front of it, started working with different manufacturers. And uh, I went out and, um, raced king of the hammers for my very first time in 2017 and didn't finish, but had a, just an epic race, um, passed a bunch of guys, had a ton of fun in the rock trails. And, you know, my brother gets on the radio to let me know, Hey, you're no, you're nowhere in contention for a win or anything like that. Just have some fun. And, uh, we ended up breaking the car, but you know, we never, we never gave up. Uh, we raced all the way to resolution where they kind of, looked at me and said, okay, your day is done there. 4,400 cars are now qualifying. You're out. But, um, but it was, uh, it was awesome, man. I, I, uh, that first race, uh, I'll never forget it. It was definitely a fun one. So let's, let's continue talking about the ultra four racing and yeah, where that, where that can-am led you. Yeah. So then one day I got, um, 
I got this idea to, to call Can-Am and let them know, um, you know, about some of my successes. I won um, a race out in Texas, the Vancouver 212, which was in Sierra Blanca. Yep. Um, and I don't know uh, if any of the listeners have heard stories about that race, but it was a legendary race. We raced right on the Rio Grande. Um, sheriff Arvin, who's the famous sheriff for arresting Willie Nelson and, and Snoop Dogg and a bunch of other people for trying to bring marijuana over into Texas. He was the local sheriff that put the race on with Dave Cole. And um, yeah, that was my first win. And so <clears throat> I took that and I went to Bombardier Can-Am and BRP and uh, ended up getting a factory sponsorship from them. And they helped me out for the whole season um, from, you know, parts, uh, helped me with entry fees, all that kind of stuff. So I was just absolutely blown away that I got um, a factory sponsorship uh, for a UTV company that I used my skill sets from uh, racing go-karts and, and knowing how these factories work. It was, you know... Um, it, it was a, a relationship, a partnership. It wasn't a sponsorship. I wanted to help promote their product and look at where they are now. Right? They're super involved in Ultra Four racing. Um, right. I think they're they're the title sponsor for a lot of different um, events that they put on. And and um, yeah, we just kept that 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 speed, that um, that steam that like. Uh, I don't really know how to explain it, Rich. It was just a drive. I wanted to be involved. I got done with work every day, and that race car got torn down so that I could go to the next race. And went to Stampede, the Metal Cloak Stampede, in uh, 2017. And I had a pretty rough day. I got um, dumped really hard in uh, our heat race. Um, the car just got destroyed and my brother tom ways i think even lauren came over to help out i mean everybody was thrashing on my utv to get me into the main event and i went and had to start from the back because i got crashed out and i passed everybody i was just like i was i saw red i had that red mist (laughs) (laughs) on a mission on a mission and i drove from the back um uh, won the race and I, I came in, um, and you know, I, my brother and Dave were, um, at the start finish line where you come in at, you know, up, up the track there and they said you won. And, and I, I hadn't even been paying attention because all I was doing was driving. I, I didn't care what place I was in. I was just driving as hard as I could. And they said you won. And, uh, it was super fun. I got to get up on the podium and spray champagne for my, my very first time spraying champagne at an ultra four race. And yeah, it was awesome. Tons of fun. And then we took that speed and we went out to the Fallon and, uh, ran the Fallon 250, the PCI Fallon 250. And again, I, I put together a really good program. Um, Jason came out and supported me out at that race and my whole team. And, and, uh, we ended up pulling off a second and that second place, um, secured us the, uh, championship for the West, uh, the national championship. And then I got to the awards banquet and they, I, I had gotten the, uh, ultra four, uh, rookie of the year, which was, uh, to me, I think it was bigger than, than the championship. It was, I got the rookie of the year of all ultra four racers. It was like, you know, still to this day, this is mind boggling. Well, yeah. When you jump into upper levels of any racing organization and you win a championship, no matter what kind of vehicle you're driving, that's hard to duplicate as a, as a, as a newbie. Yeah, it really was. And, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without the partners that, that I had. Um, they really stepped up. I mean, all of them. It was uh, it was really fun. It was a fun fun season, and um, that sparked a little more interest. Um, I got a random phone call one night from a part manufacturer named Travis Dollinger, and um, Travis, you know, his first question is to me is, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to work with you. What breaks on these cars? 
and he was a part manufacturer. And so we started developing parts from radius rods to knuckles and tie rods. And, you know, the next thing I know, I'm traveling out to um, Logan, Utah to go see his facility. And, and uh, he introduced me to every single one of his employees. And we just started this relationship where I was helping him as a racer and um he was manufacturing these parts and he built a very successful business and the next thing i know him and a couple of his employees and everybody they're now out racing full speed i mean they are committed they've got trailers and race cars and full teams and you know they're all racing three or four different series so it's kind of neat that um one phone call could turn into getting you know, a whole crew of guys out racing in, in our sports. Well, let's, let's dive into that angle. You, you mentioned not sponsors, but partners. I've yep. always been one to, I, I, I'd rather build a relationship. We, we call it, uh, um, contact before commerce. And, Correct. and the whole idea is to build a friendship with somebody or some kind of a real, you know, personal relationship before they become a partner, before yeah. asking them for help with your racing or in my case, the racing series, it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I go to, to SEMA and it's to talk to my current partners and to see the people that I'm interested in working with in the future. Not yeah. to walk in and hand them a proposal and go, hey, my name is so-and-so, and this sure. is what I do, and here's the proposal. I want you to be a partner. I've never yeah. done – well, I did that at the very beginning, and I and I never was successful. So we started, you know, just walking in and saying, hey, you know, I'm Rich Klein. I'm with uh, Cow Rocks or We Rock or Vora or Dirt Riot, whatever it happens to be that I'm interested in getting them involved <laughs> with. Yep. And it's – and then I go back the next year. You know, I get their, their email address so I can send them updates on what we do, post-race emails and that kind of thing, so that they can see that we're legit instead of just some guy, random person walking up with a proposal. So, yeah. you know, that's one of the things that I try to to instill in racers, and you brought that over, I guess, from, from having been successful with the go-karts. Yeah, it was a little bit of that. I think I learned my majority of it, honestly, from the off-road stuff. Um, Charlene Bauer had a lot to do with it. Um, took, took her class way back when. I mean, I can still hear Charlene in my head saying, put your window net inside your car, not outside your car. <laughs> um, uh, so that, you know, when people are taking pictures, the, your window net isn't covering up all of your sponsors. Correct. Uh, take your take your sunglasses off. You know, those little types of things, um, they actually do go a long way. And and to exactly to your point, Rich, is, you know, one of one of my biggest sponsors over the year is Cody Wagner from LaserNut. And I, I straight up asked him one day, I'm like, why are you sponsoring me? Like, wh what's the deal? Like, you know, is it for exposure or what? And, you know, his response came back is, no, man, I think you're cool. Like, you're, you're one of our friends. Like, I want to help support you. And that meant more to me than any corporation or, or big sponsor because it was a friend. Right. And that, that happened with ZRP. That happened with Baja Designs. You know, that happened with Bigfoot Winch Ropes. It was all of those, like, really cool relationships where it wasn't just racing also. It was, hey, let's go grab beers. Or, hey, do you want to come do Easter Jeep Safari? Or whatever it may be, it just turned into these friendships that I still have today. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it. And, and I can kind of segue some of that into what I'm doing today with ultra four and in case you missed it because um maybe i'm maybe i'm jumping a little bit ahead but no, go ahead i was i was involved in a really bad accident i um i wrecked my utv in 2019 at the ultra four nationals up in uh up in reno right. and uh, that that day was a light switch. Um, I lost my 
uh, factory sponsorship. I got hurt. Um, I, I, you know, lost, it was literally a light switch. It was all, all, all all games off, no more racing. Um, doctor's orders. I came over a jump and I cooked it way, way too hot. And I had some other mechanical issues going on with the car. And when I went off the jump uh, at about 70 miles an hour, uh, the front bumper hit the dirt first. And I went for a ride eight times. The car went over um, every time the rear tires hit the ground, you know, it was full throttle. Um, and it went uh, and came to rest. And when it came to rest, it came to rest really violently and broke my back, had a burst fracture of the vertebrae. Um, instantly went to the hospital, went into surgery, uh, had a cage put in, fused a bunch of vertebrae. That was it there was no more, no more drive for me. Now it was all about my rehabilitation and spending time with my family because that was the most important thing in my life. Right. Um, when you face, for, face that kind of trauma. Yeah, it was, there were some dark moments there. I, um, when I was in the hospital, I was, you know, and really bad. I, I couldn't pull myself together. I, I was just in such a dark place and um, my brother's co-driver, Jason Berger um, and his brother-in-law, Jesse came to visit me at the hospital with Tom ways. Um, but they're, you know, really close family friends. And they said, Casey, you know, let's try and put this um, negative, bad, horrible thing that happened to you and let's turn it into a positive. And how do you um, continue your life and not dwell on this silly situation that happened? And it taught me a lot. It was, I get to spend more time with my family. I get to travel. I don't have to spend so much money on race car parts. Um, it just, the list kept growing on all these like positive things uh, that I was interested in. Um, and it, it like sparked a whole new interest in my life. It wasn't just race, 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 race all the time. And I didn't realize that I had turned into that. My wife later told me, you know, that's all you did. You got done with work and boom, you went straight to the shop. I didn't even get a, you know, how was your day, honey, sometimes. So um, it's definitely been a blessing. Um, and, and it kind of got, it opened my eyes to the, you know, the world that's out there and the, and the awesome life that I can live. Right. I think that's one of the things that, that, others can learn without having to go through the traumatic accident that you did was that, you know, racing um, or any pursuit of that passion that, that fuels you, you can't forget about your base and the base, I mean, by family, um, you know, whatever it is that, that got you, um, you know, to where you're, you're at. And I think yeah. a lot of people lose that, lose sight of that. Definitely. I think, uh, I think a lot of racers have the same attributes. You know, we have that addictive personality <laughs> and it's all, we're all, you know, we're all, uh, we're all very competitive people. I mean, that's why we're, we're out there racing in the first place Yep. and, uh, to step back from it once in a while is actually really healthy. I think, I think, um, you know, you don't have to compete in every single race. Um, you can, you know, go on a family vacation and regroup and, and have some better, cleaner ideas in your head on, you know, how you can better your race car or better perform in an event, um, you know, be more comfortable in the pits, whatever it may be. Um, sometimes taking a step back from it is a, a window of opportunity. Very true. So the, what are you, what are you focusing on since you said that that segue into, into life after the racing. Yeah. So life after the racing, I, um, <clears throat> I got a phone call, uh, from Dave. Um, Dave's I've always, Dave and I have always had a really funny relationship. Um, a lot of us can know, say that. Yeah. I, a lot, <laughs> you know, a, a, definitely. I, um, me being Jason's little brother, he's always kind of messed with me like, Oh, Hey, there's Jason's little brother. And, you know, it always puts a smile on my face. So, um, quick little story. One day Dave was looking for my brother and my brother was in his motor home 
And I think Jason was in trouble for something. I don't remember what it was, but Dave said, get in my golf cart, take me to where your brother is. I need to see him right away. So, you know, I, I roll up to Jason's motor home and, and I jump out of the golf cart real quick and I run up to the door and open the door as fast as I can. And Jason's like, what? And I'm like, the cops are here. The cops are here. And it was just Dave Cole. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, he, we always have had that like silly, funny relationship. Uh, a lot of people, um, don't understand how I can mess around with Dave the way I do and get, and get away with it. And it's strictly because we were friends first before, before I was a racer and it just, that relationship has carried on. So Dave called me after my, after my accident, um, and JT and, you know, checked in on me. And then about two months later, Dave called me and said, Casey, I've been thinking about this and I can't lose you at our events. I need you to come to our events. You are, your personality is huge. You know, literally it's not just the racers, you know, the mechanics, you know, the tire changer, you know, the guys out in remote pits He's like, I think you might know more people at this event than anybody does. And so he wanted me to go do segments where I, um, I get to go introduce myself uh, to race car drivers and get interviews just off the script, you know, candid, fun stuff. You know, walk up to Bryce Menzies after qualifying in his T1 truck and, you know, have a conversation with him. Instead of it being your typical ESPN interview, right? Right. Just, just fun. Make it fun. I mean, I think that's you know why why great announcers, guys like Cameron Steele, um, you know John Crowley, those guys are so awesome at, at what they do is because they're just themselves. There's no script. They just they, they there's no there's no BS. It's just let's go have fun. Let's talk about what's important at the moment. And, you know, people really, really seem to enjoy it. And so Dave and Hammer King Productions hired me um, to come do these segments um, that they have on their pay-per-view channel and on their YouTube channel now. So you can go check them out. Um, it's pretty, uh, pretty funny stuff, you know, doing interviews with Gomez Brothers and, and talking to Terry Madden and stuff like that. It's just, it's awesome. So I've been going to a bunch of the races and doing interviews with people, um, went down to Baja uh, a few weeks ago for the El Rey, uh, got to do a bunch of funny segments, and yeah, it's just turned into me staying in the in the limelight uh, and and enjoying the sport. Um, you know, I don't have to go chase sponsors or anything like that anymore because it's it's um, it's just for fun. I really enjoy it. Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, so- I mean, I got to go. I got to I got to meet you know, some legends too. I did, you know, interviews with Chris Wiseman and stuff like that, talking about technology and going over to the Fox booth and talking to Mike Kim and learning about, you know, different technologies in the sport and stuff where it's kind of missed. People aren't really talking about it unless you pay attention to that specific product. So going and talking to the, you know, guys like Phil Blurton and seeing what they're doing with their race cars it's really fun, Rich. It's, it's, uh, and I like the technology part of it. And, um, yeah, I just kind of leave it at that. Excellent. So let's, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because it's something that Shelly and I've been wanting to do, but the timing hasn't been right because, you know, we've been rock crawling for 21 years, but yeah. it's, uh, the mountain vibe. Yeah. So yeah. you, you're, I don't know how, if you're just a fan or if you're <laughs> part of that, but you know, the only time I ever see any advertising for it, it's, it's from you. So yeah, <laughs> talk about that concert and what got you involved. Yeah. So, um, 11 years ago, um, my best friend, Alan Drachman, I call him brother Al because I treat him just like a brother and he treats me like a brother. Um, he, we were all sitting by a campfire one night and he had this dream to put on, uh, a three day concert where we go camping and have a multitude of bands. Um, I'm going here on the 25th to mountain vibe music festival, number 11. 
and there is uh i think there's something like 22 or 23 bands playing throughout the three days it's awesome it's you camp in a next to a river um there's a huge stage and then at night you know around 11 o'clock at night on friday and saturday night they have you know awesome headliners and he has you know food vendors and um you know the the bands are awesome there's there's everything from bluegrass you get you know a solo guy up on stage just playing an acoustic guitar you get a dj that comes out and you know scratches records and then you get a full punk band and it's every type of music it isn't just like going to a dave matthews band concert or a festival for four days it's just a a constant flow of different music and alan and a bunch of us um kind of started it all and al's always just had me be uh involved in it kind of be a vip and and help with bands and help with parking and hey casey can you load up your truck and take a load of trash out to the dumpster i've always <laughs> just been involved in it um and uh it's an awesome event i you know last year it didn't happen uh for obvious reasons california uh, this, covid yep, yep yep but this year it's going to be bigger than ever you know i talked to him the day, the other day he's sold you know more tickets than he than he ever has you can you can check out their website it's mountainvibemusic.com um and you can actually it's pretty cool because on the website you can click on to any of the bands that are listed that are going to be performing and hear their music so if it's something that you know tickles your brain a little bit you can come out and and enjoy it and it's kid friendly you know there's tons of families out there um i'm going i'm going solo this year we got got rid of the motor home and i'm just gonna to stay in the pop-up tent um but i'm really looking forward to it i i i can't even tell you how much fun it is it is the bonfire the the drum circles the people are awesome the food vendors it's just one thing after the next hanging out in the river with all your buddies having beers and jello shots i mean whoo good times <laughs> so he alan is one of uh the team awesome members is that correct he is yep and uh he was one of the founding fathers of team awesome team awesome was a um again it was a group of friends and uh we 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 were awesome people we would you know stop what we were doing to help somebody else out at the races and that's how team that's how team awesome kind of became um it wasn't it wasn't pit support or anything like that it was just a bunch of awesome people that would go around and you know if someone was struggling trying to get a tire off they they would stop what they were doing and go over and help them um and and that just grew throughout the sport and people like uh josh wanted you know hey you should you know make hats or something like that for all the awesome people and the next thing i know i'm you know getting fuel clothing to, to make socks and hats and, and <laughs> <laughs> building a website and kind of starting a brand and that's where team awesome came from and al had always supported me in that um because he's like i said he's like a brother and uh so he supports me in all my races i don't think al's ever missed a race rich um even in my even in my go-karting days he was my mechanic he was always there um as just a bro and i never asked for anything in return um just to have a good time and so i feel that um you know to pay it forward i i do the same thing for him at mountain vibe where i i come in and and i help in any way i can be a volunteer to help out well that's really cool yeah i wasn't quite sure what the relationship was with that and uh I'm glad to hear I don't I don't do the pay-per-view thing. Um I rarely watch any other racing cuz we're just always traveling or putting on our sure. own thing. Um I do occasionally listen to Wyatt's podcast and yeah. uh, just and one of the things is just because some of those drivers I don't know since I'm not at Ultra 4 races any longer or King of the Hammers was the only one I really got involved with. You know, I, I don't I don't know everybody anymore, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. Nice to it's find grown. Out. Yeah, it has. Yep. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to, uh, you know, I, I have a hard time uh, putting my finger on it. But the best way I've been able to follow along with uh, newcomers into the sport and stuff is I follow the cars. 
So, you know, for instance, uh, you know, Bailey Cole's now driving a, a Trent Fab IFS car. And, you know, I always just follow that car and who had the car before him and, 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 you know, who, like my brothers, we call it the little tribe car. You know, that car went from my brother to Tom Ways and then Tom Ways to Mike Boo and Mike Boo to Ron Prindle. Well, I didn't know who Ron Prindle was. Right. So now, right. I mean, I just followed that car and, and turns out like, Oh, I know Ron Prindle. He was, you know, he was always helping Mike Boo in the pits and, you know, he, he actually lived by me. And so like, that's, that's the way I, I follow the new people in the sport. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So what else do you have going on? Man, business is is uh, really fun right now. Um, Jason and I are in, involved in all kinds of neat stuff. Um, and family, living out here in St. George, uh, moved out of California about a year ago, um, where uh, my brother-in-law, Lance Clifford from Pirate 4x4, um, he lives out here. Um, my, my wife and his wife are sisters. And so we are, we are involved in and BMX bike racing with the little kids. And I've got a two and three year old Sloan and Cole and, uh, they're out there on their strider bikes, you know, uh, just, uh, balanced bikes. They don't even have pedals or anything on them. And they're out doing the the course for their, uh, niece and nephew, Connor and Callie are out racing BMX bikes and, and Rich, it's so cool to, to watch them interact. And, you know, Connor is, you know, a national champion and racing BMX and, uh, it's cool to watch him like coach him along and, you know, look forward and go, go, go and pedal, pedal, pedal. It just, uh, man, there's nothing better. I, I absolutely, uh, I just love it. That's awesome. When you can get the, the kids all involved and especially the older ones to teach the younger ones, the tricks of the trade that they got, you know, either from coaching or from other racers as well. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be tough for me not racing. Right. Because I have that again, I have got that competitive uh, mentality and um, I think I'm going to, you know, as much as I can teach my kids, I'm going to get my kids into to racing go-karts and get my kids in a little Polaris 170. And, um, you know, we do a ton of recreational wheeling, um, really involved in, uh, in trail cleanups and stuff around the St. George area. Um I had an absolute blast at your kids event out at trail hero. Good. Um, I, inv- I invited a bunch of people out this year to stay, at- stay with us at our house and, um, and go to that event. So yeah, I'm still, still really involved in uh, recreation wheeling and, and just enjoy it. That's, that's what, that's what life should be about is, is enjoying what you're doing. I, I know that I, I had to become a promoter because I'm not, I'm not a very good winner or loser. Um, <laughs> I'm too, I'm probably hyper competitive and I don't even play board games with family because it's, it, <laughs> do you, <laughs> Rich do you cheat, you cheat at Monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't cheat, but man, I can be ruthless. You know, I mean, I'm, everything is about blood. You know, it's, uh, I, I just, I found that it's just a lot easier to keep friends and family around if I am not competitive. If I stay away from, like I said, yeah. even simple board games. You know, yeah. Just uh, <laughs> it, as a as a racer, the the only thing I I competed in one of Charlene's events. Um, Shelly wanted to cover it for the magazine, and she goes, "Okay, you know, this is." We're not, we're not doing this as anything but media. You know, we don't have to win. We don't have to be, you know, at leaders of the pack or anything like that. And I'm like, okay, we'll try to do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to take this not serious. As soon as Ryan Miller went past me, it was <laughs> everybody. I mean, I was like fourth to last to leave. Uh, Two passed me. And then. The last one in the pack was Ryan. And, you know, Ryan is, he's hyper competitive. And, oh, yeah. And he just goes blowing by me in this, in what they called the rally Jeep, the little TJ. Yeah. And I'm yep. like, no way. And I started flooring <laughs> it. 
And Shelly, you know, after a couple of miles, Shelly goes, what are you doing? She goes, stop. We're going to stop for lunch. And I'm like, we're in the uh-uh. middle of a competition. What do you mean we're stopping for lunch? But I stopped. And then so, you know, and then I'm chomping at the bit, you know, oh, my God, we're on the first lap. Everybody's on the second lap. You know, we're going and the second lap was part of uh, the first lap You was just to kind of like wear you out all around, yep. you know, Sand Hollow. And then the second lap was all of these technical things that you had to do. You had to drive blindfolded. You had a winch challenge. You had these other things. And I didn't even get to the challenges. I come smoking around this corner again, knowing that I'm way behind and that, you know, we're going to be the last one through all these little challenges. But you had to beat Miller. <laughs> I had to at least see somebody in, you know, in front of me. And I, I went into this canyon way too fast, hooked a rock that I'd seen earlier and said, okay, you know, I cannot hit that rock. Cause if I do, I'm, I'm going to tear a tire up. I'm going to blow the rim. Well, I blew the rim. I mean, shattered mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and it was a beadlock and it was like, okay, great. I don't even have my spare on because I was trying to go light. You know, my Jeep is built for up or for down travel. You know, it has like yep. an inch and a half of up travel. Yeah. So, you know, you can't go fast in the dunes anyway. I hit that rock and, you know, <laughs> Shelly goes afterwards, you know, she was, she was upset because I had taken it too seriously. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I did warn you, you know, I mean, I just, I can't help it. So it's better that I'm a promoter. When people ask me, why did you get into promoting? It was because it was a way to be involved in the sport without having to be that hyper-competitive big rich. Yeah. Well, we're glad you did, Rich, because, you know, I can't even count on my hands how many events of yours I've been to. Um, Man, I just, I look back at those events and, you know, meeting cool people like the Websters and hanging out with the Mellows and, you know, watching, you know, Ryan Taylor and those guys, you know, with little funds go compete um, and, and just have so much fun competing and what your sport helped evolve into, you know, hey, we want to go fast and slow. Um, yep. it, it's, it, it's just, it, it was the stepping stones for how big, um, a lot of the racing, not, you know, I mean, you had Vora, we, you know, I remember going to Vora races and, oh man, that had to be, what year was that? 2000, nah, maybe a little later. Yeah. I took over in 2000 and the end of 2002. Yeah. So I was two, three, four, five. Two, three, four, and five. You know, it was four and yeah. a half years. And seeing, you know, Randy Avery out there and his Jeep. And I mean, I just, the, uh, the, the friends and the people that we met and the, you know, the, the, how it sparked the industry. It's, it's, uh, we owe a lot of credit to you, man. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. That's not why I brought that up, but I appreciate it. So, <laughs> um, is there anything that you want to talk about we haven't touched bases on? Oh man, I don't know. I, uh, I'm just really excited to, uh, to, you know, still be involved in the off-road stuff. And, and, um, you know, I, I don't, I, like I said, I'm not getting back in a race car, but, you know, I'm trying to help out, um, some people right now I'm going to be doing, um, with the team awesome, uh, brand, I'm going to be doing some driver spotlights on some people that I sponsor. Um, there's some young kids growing up right now that are racing in the 170 class, um, that I'm, you know, trying to give some knowledge to, um, you know, and, and help them out. Um, even just, you know, these little kids and <laughs> big kids too, on the same, same spectrum, they get pretty excited when I give them some swag and some stickers and stuff, because, they just love that, you know, they can have a sticker on the side of their car that says awesome. Exactly. Um, I, it just, it puts such a smile on them on my face and, you know, for a couple dollars and stickers and a hat or something like that, it's, it's pretty fun. It, it gives them a little bit more drive. And this month I'm actually um, showcasing one of my friends uh, who just moved out to, to St. George, Kevin Stearns, uh, who's race now racing 4,400 
in a, his BDS sponsored IFS car. So this year I'm going to be doing um, every month a different um, driver spotlight and promoting them and help promote them um, and show, you know, just how awesome some of these people that are involved in Team Awesome really are. That's great. That's yeah. Awesome. That that is awesome. Yeah, and it's for it's for fun, and it doesn't. I don't ask anything in return for it. It's just uh, you know to have fun and and get people to get some eyes, get more eyes on uh, some of these cool people, and you know how much fun they have too. So, what is in the future? Are you uh, going to continue? Well, you said you're going to get your kids into into racing if they wish to be doing it. Um, are you? Are you going to go into boating, go out to the lake all the time or, you know, your, your casual days? Yeah. My casual days, you know, I, um, I really enjoy just the, the taking the Bronco out. I've, I have a, an old vintage Bronco. That's my very first vehicle. Actually, I bought it when I was 14 and, um, I still own it and, uh, it's pretty robust and fun to go wheeling in. So, I, my, my afternoons and sometimes early mornings, you know, consist of loading up babies, um, and going wheeling. Uh, let's see, last Friday, I loaded up the kids in the Raptor and took them out to, um, the sand dunes where you were talking about earlier there and, um, you know, ripped around in our Raptor and, and, um, yeah, we just, we, I love it. We, um, we like to go down to San Felipe and Baja with the family and, stay at our friend's house down there and hang out on the beach and just uh i'm trying to live and show my kids you know the best the best lives that they can live um again it's um it, this accident that happened to me in 2019 really opened my eyes to a lot of other things in life that um, i'm interested in doing well excellent yeah casey i'd like to say thank you for for coming on board and and discussing your life and the situations that have happened in your life to get you where you are today. And I hope that uh, anybody that listens to this gains some knowledge on, you know, the whole sponsor versus partner, the, you know, living that life to the fullest um, and, you know, can, can, gather some information out of that and, and put their right, their life in the right direction. Yeah. Thanks Rich. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Okay. And, uh, again, thank you. You take care now. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating, share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.